Welcome to Mentors and Mavens, Up Close and Personal. I'm your host, Jane Allridge. Once a month, we will bring you amazing guests who have great stories, whether it be in life or business. Real authentic conversations bringing value through mentoring, making connections, ideas for collaborations, full of inspiration, and taking life to the next level. I'm so looking forward to you joining us. When my father passed away, there was this comfort in solitude. That was the first time in my life that I just spent time by myself in nature. And what I discovered was that all creativity lies there. Today's guest, designer Louise McKenzie, is an internationally recognized creator of classic and modern homes and a genuine advocate for doing what's best for ourselves in business and in life. What happens with women in business, there's sort of this pressure to sit on boards, but we can easily be pulled into doing these bigger things because it looks good on our bio. It's just a lot. So how effective can you be without affecting something else in your life that's also really fundamentally the most important. Living life by her own design, Louise digs deep to share personal wisdom straight from her heart. You have no idea what lies ahead. And if we just say yes to the next door that opens, you never know what what that's going to lead to. Welcome to today's episode of Mentors and Mavens. Today you're going to meet a remarkable woman who lives life by design. My friend Louise McKenzie, the owner of McKenzie Design Incorporated since 1996, creates timeless homes for modern lives. Louise McKenzie designed her first home at just 15 years old and has been collecting industry-related awards ever since. After leaving a 17-year position with a prestigious design firm in Toronto to raise a family in her hometown of Peterborough, she has definitely achieved success on her own terms. Along with the homes Louise designed in the most affluent areas of Toronto, you'll also find Mackenzie Design homes in cottage country along the shores of Stony, Clear, Balsam, and Halliburton Lakes in Ontario, Canada, and dotted throughout the surrounding countryside properties. Louise believes self-care is fundamental to doing the best job she can for other people, and that communication is the foundation of great relationships. In her words, it's best to speak from your heart and be really, really honest. As scary as pushing yourself out of your comfort zone can be, she's never allowed fear to keep her from pursuing her dreams. Here to share multiple decades of her own heart-centered truths is Louise McKenzie, a genuine mentor and maven. Well, good morning, Louise. Are you ready to get up close and personal? I am. (laughs) I, I really enjoyed our chat yesterday, so we're going to continue this on and have this recorded and get it out there. So Louise, where did you grow up? I grew up in Peterborough. Uh, My parents, um, Don and Joyce McKenzie, were both teachers. And so my life here growing up was great. We were really active. We were involved in all kinds of sports and skiing and our summers were cottaging. So I feel really, really fortunate in, in the way that we were raised here I have two siblings as well and um, yeah so I think we had a pretty balanced upbringing in terms of having a lot of fun and being outdoors a lot so yeah it's a great place to grow up. Mm, And you're still living here too because a lot of people move away and little did I know that we had some history going way back with your parents cottage and my aunt and uncle's cottage and how your parents were there for with my uncle when he was stung by many bees that way back. And I had no idea until your mom told me that story. And that just, it's like, wow, this world is so small. My parents were both ski patrollers, which is why we grew up mostly on the ski hills and the ski trails. And so, yeah, they were able to use their their expertise to try and help in that situation. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's amazing how the web eh, is spun, spun for everybody. Um, so much so. Yeah. What is your favorite quote or mantra? Oh my gosh, I have so many of those. Um, but I would say philosophically, my one of my favorite ones is uh, this. It says a candle loses nothing by lighting another. And I think it kind of goes along with this talk really well, because, you know, what you what you have to share 
you share and you don't lose anything by that. And someone else is going to maybe gain a little bit of insight or some, a little bit of help to a problem or you share some love to a friend who's going through a hard time. And so I think that, um, you know, really what the saying is about is, is passing your light. Like we are just beautiful balls of shining light and love. And why wouldn't we just let that pour out of our eyes and share that to other people through our day? It really changes the energetic communication between people. So that I love that, that little tidbit. And another one that I love is, uh, what you resist persists. <laughs> and uh, I, I was talking with a client just the other day and there's through his beautiful view of his cottage, he, he can see across the lake, this blinking light from a, a brand new tower that was put up and he can't get away from this red light. And um, so I had said to him, you know, you keep putting your attention on that. And it's just going to continue to really make you nuts. So, um, you know, we've come up with an idea to sort of block it with a, you know, some planting and something artistic. But, you know, if you really put your attention on something that's niggling at you, it's just going to continue. Oh, absolutely. Like what you focus on is what you find. It's a very good reminder. <laughs> Okay, this next question is not going to be a hard one for you, but if you could travel anywhere for a wellness retreat, where would that be? Because I know well, wellness retreats for you is a big thing. So <laughs> what would the next answer be to that one, Lou? Oh, that's a really good one. Oh my gosh, I'm a retreat junkie. Um, and I have to say that happened, um, we'll probably talk about that later, but that happened only in the last probably 10 years of my life. But um yeah. Oh my gosh. I've been to amazing retreats. Uh, one in India that was pretty life-changing for me, actually. I've been in sweat lodges in Spain. I've been to Bali. I uh, actually went to Bali for two weeks with my mom, who's 86. She's a real trooper. And we walked everywhere that we could. And we decided that Bali was the place of stairs there are just stairs everywhere <laughs> so wow. uh, beautiful beautiful place for retreats and uh, Costa Rica another beautiful Arabic place to be but you know honestly I've gone to a retreat every summer for many years just over on Wolf Island so very close by it was called Shanti and they've since sold it this year but really, you can go anywhere. The point is that you get away from technology and you get away from your work as best as you can and all of the influences around you in your everyday. And however you manage that, whether it's a weekend or four days or a week, um, it's, it's to lower your, you know, just to help your central nervous system slow down and really, really, really recharge. Um, and for me, that's just moving away from all of the external noise and just getting quiet and being with uh, your inner self for a little while. And that's just the fastest speedway to recharging. So I actually moved away from doing big trips and traveling and, and going to kind of fantastical places and instead going to these little tiny mini retreats anywhere, anywhere you find one in Ontario is perfectly fine. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's how I, I escape um, and recharge and then come back feeling like I can really do a, a really great job for people. It's a good way to bring balance back into your life. And that's a great thing that you've done. And more and more people are doing it. So I'm glad you have done that. This next question we chatted about, and I loved your perspective on this. So what is your favorite charity and how important it is to you giving back to your community or cause? And I loved how you spun this because I really think you had a really good, different perspective that people need to hear. Okay, well, here we go. I always think that it's best to speak from your heart and be really, really honest. So 
With that question, I do what I can. Um, I do as much as I can for the causes that are close to my heart. And so through time, uh, Jamaican self-help was something that my mother was deeply involved in for many years. And she's just written a book, actually, mm-hmm. as the organization comes to a close um, this year. And so I was sort of pulled into that in a, in a family way. Um, but I, was, I became very um, much of a supporter with JSH. And it's a very grassroots, small organization. And then the Kinu Museum, we were, you know, friends with the Whippers and we've always been trippers and canoe enthusiasts. And so that um, the Canoe Museum is very close to my heart. So I always give what I can. I always am involved in any silent auctions where people want, you know, donations of my time. I always give to those things. Uh, Crossroads was very um, close to my heart as well. Uh, One of my caregivers literally escaped in the night with her four little babies um, from Ottawa, hopped on a Greyhound bus and came here for shelter. And so her story really, as a really young mother at the time, was pretty profound to me listening to her, uh, the details of her story. And so I always like to give to that organization hospice um, because my dad died and I really understand the importance of hospice in our communities and then more recently fourth line theater uh, the arts I think it's so important to support our arts so over the years I I tend to be drawn to those organizations that uh, I've been affected with personally in my life and I think that's fairly common with people Um, cancer dragon boat all of those kinds of things um, I have been involved with as well. But having said all of that, I've done this in my own way. And whatever time I have to contribute to all of those amazing organizations has usually been in donations or silent auction items, something that I could actually afford the time to do. And I think what happens with women in business or anyone in business, there's sort of this pressure or this expectation that you are going to sit on boards and you're going to be doing this important work, which is really valuable and really important to our community. But the reality is for me, I'll only speak for me. um, When I was raising my three children, uh, my husband was away a lot of the time. And I was running my business, my staff, my building, my kids, and trying to do what I can for my community. The the one board that I sat on was PACAC. And I realized that I was sitting in a chair, filling a space, but I really wasn't able to be all that effective. I was so exhausted by everything else that I was trying to make sure I was doing a good job at. So I realized, um, you know, with my second baby coming along that there just, it just wasn't going to be effective for me to sit on, on committees and, and give time in that way. So over the course of, as my kids were growing up, I gave my time to all of their sports, their hockey teams and their dance and swimming and music and choir and volunteering for the school and helping with the playground and the things that were really important in my little life, in my little world. But that was where I gave my time to. And I think that we, we can easily be pulled into doing these bigger things because it looks good on our bio. It looks good on our CV that, oh, we've done all of these things and we've sat on the boards and we run our companies and we are there for our kids and our husbands and our parents, and it's just a lot. So how effective can you be without affecting something else in your life that's also really actually fundamentally the most important? So I, in my personal uh, opinion on this, I feel like the time is coming more ahead of me now where time is opened up and those responsibilities with the kids aren't as urgent. And then there's more time to be productive on a, on a board or a committee or a bigger uh, fundraising adventure. 
So that's just my own personal experience. And I feel like there's this pressure and often I feel a little bit guilty that I haven't done more to put myself out there, but it, it just, it just didn't feel authentic to me to do that. That's a really good point because I think that makes fundraisers aware of how much time I know it's, and you know, that's not for everybody. That's you, but you know, sitting back mm-hmm. now, mm-hmm. I realized that I probably should have waited. It's a, it's a yin and a yang and a push and a pull back when you've got little kids and you think you're, you're a mom of everything, you're jack of all trades and you can do it all, but it's things suffer. So I'm glad that you said that because it's just, it's so important that people know that you don't have to be everything Mm -hmm. to everyone. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think that, that the point I'm trying to say is that you know, to give of yourself and to serve to the community and to serve to your friends and be there for, you know, people who are in need is really important. But to also realize that just do what you can do what you can within the means of time that's available to you at that particular time in your life, whatever time in in your life that you're in, you know, give what you can, um, for sure. Uh, So, it's that's really important. But I think that it's, to me, it just felt like there was always this sort of layer of guilt or this layer of, I'm not doing enough, I'm not doing enough. And oh, my gosh, you know, we're doing a lot in in our everyday running our businesses, and those are supporting families with income. So, you know, that's one thing. Mm -hmm. You know, we have to remember that we are doing what we can in, in our, all of our different areas of work um, to, you know, spread the joy, I guess. It, it comes back to balance. You have to balance it and we mm. try to do too much. And I think that's the thing that we have to be very cognizant and being fundraisers also being cognizant of just because they're the latest and greatest doing, they do all kinds of things. Doesn't mean that that person particularly has the time you know they say that you know give a task to a busy person well and get it'll, it'll get done well that might be their breaking point mm-hmm. as well that's great and you never really know where where that breaking point will be um you just don't really know until it happens exactly mm-hmm. so be mindful of that yeah and balance is the biggest thing like we all seek that i i think every Everyone in business, you know, I've been a lifetime of trying to make, you know, find that balance and that point of where everything just seems to be, you know, at ease. And I, you know, it's something that I think we're all still trying to manage. Mm -hmm. I agree. Do you have a mentor or a coach? Yes, I do. (laughs) I don't know whether he really realizes that he's a mentor but he absolutely is. And this is Paul Hickey from Outpost 379 at Agency in Peterborough. I love Paul. He's, he was um, a, an acquaintance, but then I, I got to know Paul and his wife, Chris, um, through completely renovating their home. And uh, through that project, he and I realized that our businesses are very much aligned in terms of process and how how the whole process goes there was a lot of similarities and we would find ourselves you know on the site sort of commiserating about different things going on with work and 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 then he said oh let's just meet for some wine with wine so we call it wine with wine and every so often we'll go to the petit bar and just have a glass of wine and just talk about whatever how are you billing how are you doing this how are you managing the creative and I just always come away from those little chats with some little tidbit. And uh, one of the biggest things he said to me, one of our wine with wines, I said, you know, I just can't seem to figure out this balance thing. (laughs) And I'm, you know, when the kids were really small, I thought it was best to compartmentalize my day. So I full on work from I had a caregiver that came three times a week. And those three days, I worked full long days until dinner and then I'd put all the work on the shelf and be full on with the kids from four until 
they went to bed and then I'd go back and go to work until often one or two or three in the morning. And that's not balanced, but that was how I was coping with, with everything at that time. And what he said to me was, no, actually compartmentalizing your business with your personal life only causes you to be frustrated. So it's better to understand that your business is fully a part of your life, like one of your children, and it's immersed in your life. And you carry it with you all day long, all night long, on the weekends. It's just always there. And to accept that your work is a big part of your life. Um, and as soon as you accept that, there's, a, there's an ease to accepting that you might get a call or you might need to have a meeting on a Saturday. And if it's urgent and if that's really important, then you go and do that. But as soon as you're resisting, again, you know, what you resist persists. If you're really resisting, I'm not going to answer that phone tonight. I'm tired. I'm da da. The more you resist it, the more it eats at you. So that was one of the first things he we talked about. And I really valued that advice because I, I then my kids were older and I was able to shift into more of that way of thinking of just allowing your business to really be part of your life because it's part, it is part of the fabric of your life. So trying to push it away certain times or certain days, it, it's a lot of work to do that. It's actually really stressful to try and tuck it away so you can go and um, have a good time on a, on a Saturday, but at the same time, you put up your boundaries, right? So anyway, that was one thing that Paul said to me, and I just love him. And also my, my other mentor, Ray Murakami, who um, was my friend, my, uh, what do you call the person that runs your wedding day? Um, your planner. Wedding planner? <laughs> no, he was the, you know, the guy that, you know, does all the speaking and introducing everybody. I can't, oh, I can't think of the name. Your MC. <laughs> My MC, that's right. And uh, I worked with Ray for a long time in Toronto. I was in Toronto for 17 years. And, and, you know, often I'll call him if I have a big question and his, his Instagram is like just, off the charts. He's amazing. He's just amazing. So when I get stuck, I often send him a little note and my other colleagues. Um, and I think too, our mentors are, are also our friends and our kids. I mean, my kids, they're now all in their twenties, but they're really pushing me. They are pushing me. I, I had to go and I was a guest lecturer last week. I, I don't talk in front of a lot of people. That's just not my comfort zone at all. And my daughter, who's 22, just said, come on, mom, you can do this. You can talk to my class. And I thought, oh, my God, I don't know if I can do this. Um, and today, this is just pushing my comfort zone. And uh, my kids are really great for that. They, they mentor me in technology. They're the ones that push me to open an Instagram page. Then was I went in kicking and screaming, but they're amazing mentors. Our kids, I call that reverse mentoring. So, to so yeah, our kids. The younger generation is mm -hmm. brings so much value that it's it's really hard for some of the older generation to embrace. But if you don't embrace it, it has to go both ways and mix in the middle because you can learn from both generations and great things happens when that, when they, when you do do that, I know from my kids and I look at them and, and uh, our other friends, their kids and what they're doing. And it's just like, wow, you just, they're really embracing so much and you can learn so much from them. Absolutely. Even the little, even the little kids. They have a lot of wisdom. Oh, do they ever? Yeah. You always see that, you know, the odd Instagram and you just, you look and you see their little talk or they'll have a little, little spiel and it just comes from the heart. And you think, where does that wisdom come that they just found? It's so from the heart and it's so cute, but it's so powerful at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. 
Louise, tell us about your journey. I really want people to hear how you started out in your journey of becoming a designer because it's really cool. (laughs) Where things and where things ended up. So have at her. Okay, I'll do my best. Um, yeah, so my, I was really, really fortunate in high school. I, I was born and raised in Peterborough and I went to Adam Scott Collegiate and Mr. Mike Basiga, he was a drafting teacher there. It was a polytechnical institute at the time. And so I was always interested in the arts and music and, um, I took a house design course from him and and I was a year ahead of all of the other people in the, in the class because it was him that sort of pulled me in. And I just loved it. I loved sitting at the drafting table and, and doing that kind of work. And I was 15 at the time. And uh, so he said, you know, I really want you to take my drafting classes. You're going to be the only girl, but I want you to do that because I think you really, you don't get off of your chair for the whole period in the class. I know that you're immersed in this stuff. So, um, so I ended up taking um, two years of his drafting courses and I was the only girl in the class Mm. and I'll never, I just love him. I ended up dedicating my thesis to him later on. And uh, he was the one that actually made, made me feel like I could do anything that I wanted to. And he was the one that basically said, yes, you're a girl and they're all boys in here. And he, he, I'll never forget the very first day in the drafting class. And I was sitting there and in the sea of boys that I didn't know because they were in a different year than I was. I was uh, a little bit older than they were. And, uh, and they were snickering and everything. And he said, Oh, I know you're all laughing. And yes, I see her too. There she is. There's a girl in the class. Um, But don't laugh too hard because she'll probably be the one that you're asking questions to at the end of the year. And I don't say that to be boastful, but uh, that's what he said. And uh, I went on to win both of the the drafting awards in, in high school. And it was such a huge boost of my confidence. I was really, really shy. Um, I was one of those people that walked with my head down with my books tight to my chest through the hallways. And uh, he really uh, gave me that confidence to go forward into this business, into this world of design. Um, And so then I went on to get my degree at Ryerson and I got my degree in interior design actually. And uh, went on to do my NCIDQs and be, you know, get all of my, um, certificate certifications through NCIDQ and Arido, and then later on my BCIN. Um, but all that time that I was studying interior design, I was working for um, builders and architects, and um, I was drawing houses and I was doing the working drawings for the houses for my part time jobs in the summer. Um, so I really spent a lot of time on the architectural side of it and all of my jobs that I, I had. And so when I graduated with my degree, I remember one of my professors saying, you really should just go on and get your master's in architecture. And I was just so excited to go and work. And I was fortunate I, I graduated at the top of my class. And so I had all of these jobs to pick from at Christmas time before I graduated, which is for my kids just, you know, not happening for them. And uh, so I was really anxious to get working. So uh, if I ever have any regret, it was probably not going further and being patient and just getting that master's degree in in architecture. Um, So I went off to work and uh, had, amazing work experiences and I was working in Toronto for uh, JF Brennan and we were doing some of the most beautiful homes in Canada you know some of them were 18,000 square feet they were like museums they were just so beautiful and I was so fortunate to have that kind of uh, mentoring and that kind of work experience and so I was with our team which was Raymer Cami 
uh, we were designing these beautiful homes and I was doing all of the permit drawings for those homes. Um, so I kind of skipped the whole degree and master's degree in architecture. And I was through experience um, learning that side of the business. I was just so lucky. Like it was just, you know, we're like little pinballs in a, in a machine and we bounce through our experiences. And if we just say yes to the next door that opens, you never know what, what that's going to lead to. So I just kept saying yes to, to all of these experiences. And, um, and then, so I spent 17 years working in, in Toronto uh, with Joe Brennan and then with Raymer Cami after that. And um, I guess a pivot point would be when we wanted to start having children. And I really felt the draw and so did my husband, Mike, at the time to come back to Peterborough to raise a family here. Um, we just could see that where we wanted to live in Toronto would be too expensive. And we both had community here and our families here. Our cottage, my cottage is northeast of Bancroft. So everything was sort of here. And we both had the privilege of being raised in this in this town where we could do everything we could do all the sports and so we really wanted to move back uh, to Peterborough eventually and so I made this huge leap of faith that I could start a business here and at the time Mike had a, a change in his work so we just saw this pause in being in Toronto to say okay now now's our opportunity um, he was laid off from his job in the airlines and I just thought, oh my gosh, like I'm going to leave the most amazing job. I love this company. I love Ray. I love the work we're doing. We're doing this outstanding work, incredible, beautiful Georgian, old English, gorgeous homes in Forest Hill and the Bridal Path. And I thought, what, what am I going to do now? I'm, I'm going to move to Peterborough and I don't know what that's going to look like, but I'm just going to go for it. I'm just going to get a business number and I'm just going to hang my shingle and I'm just going to jump off the cliff and see what happens. And so I did. I just took the big leap and opened a business. And I, you know, for Ray, I was traveling back and forth to Toronto for two years just to help make that transition for him and, and also for me. Um, but moving back to Peterborough was just, I have absolutely no regrets whatsoever. It's been amazing for business. I, I actually have ended up with the same kind of clientele that I worked with in Toronto. Um, everyone is amazing. The clients are amazing. The projects are so much fun. And all of the process is the same whether you're designing a small, small, small little build, whether you're just designing a kitchen or whether you're designing a, a really big estate home, it's the same process. It's the same process, meeting with people, creating something that fulfills what all of their vision is and, and ending up with really happy clients that love their sanctuaries, that love their spaces that you've created for them and their homes. And so the process is really the same no matter where you're, you're working in design, if you want to look at it from that perspective. So I've just felt so fortunate to end up back here and doing what I love. And yeah, I, it's just great. So I, I opened my business. I, I hired staff. I have a wonderful team and I have a building downtown that's separate from my home in the early years. Uh, I had my, my space in the office was my, my basement was my office. And, you know, the baby would be upstairs with Mike and come down and get fed and then go back up. And there were those early years um, that I was in my home. Um, but I only did that for a short time because I realized that having the separate space uh, to work and have a clear mind and be able to really focus on the work was really essential for me um, to be really productive. So it was a short time that I was at home. And then I, I've always had my office outside of the house since then. That's a really good pivot to have that separate space outside of your home because you can concentrate more and then you have a place to meet your clients and, and do that kind of thing. 
and you are the premier designer of the Corthos, if you ask me, because you just have such an amazing ability just to look at a piece of property and how that whole process goes. It just doesn't start with the building. It just, it starts with that property and how it will flow. And I just love how you pull everything together and your pieces are classic. And I know that you're now going into more modern structures, which I drove by the other day and I'm like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. And then of course it's yours. Of course it's yours. And it's so great to see because those are classic pieces too. When you mm-hmm. see modern structures, because that's, it's, things are evolving. And whether it's, it's classic or modern, mid-century modern, which we love. And to see your homes are just, they're stunning. They're jaw droppers. They're just, you put every effort to Every detail is, there's no detail unhinged. You know, there's no stone unturned when you design (laughs) and it's just right down to the very nitty gritty and it shows and you take. Well, and I think you said, you said exactly, uh, exactly the, the right sequence. And I mean, every building starts with the landscape. It's absolutely the most important thing. So if the building doesn't fit into the canopy of the trees or sit on the side of the cliff or have the views down the hillside just in the right way. Um, it's all about how it sits on the property and how the, it's affected by light and wind and, and shape and form. And so that's always the very first part of the whole process. And then moving through the architectural components to the design and then the permit drawings And because I am an interior designer as well, we do all the details for all the interior. We detail all the cabinets, all of the fitments, all the trim work. We pick all the finishes, all the furniture, lights, hardware, everything, depending on what people need. Everybody's on a different, you know, scale of what they want us to do. But, um, you know, the dream jobs, you're able to, you know, be on that empty lot and and create the whole vision of the buildings right through to what hinges on the doors so it's it's really it's really a privilege it's such a privilege and I'm grateful every day for for this journey and if you wanted to mix in the what would I tell my 20 year old self is that when any door opens um It can be the most devastating time of your life. So when my father passed away, that was just enormous for me, as it is for most people. And the door that opened there that I didn't realize was a silver lining was that there was this comfort in solitude. And so that was the first time in my life that I just spent time by myself in nature. And what I discovered from that was all creativity lies there. Everything in nature is so perfect. If you look like you're looking through a macro lens and a camera at the perfection of a snowflake or what's inside the flower, you know, in the, in the center of the flower or how the light hits the trees. Like there's just so much there that's, that for me is so inspiring. It's actually where all my inspiration comes from. And whether it's the, it's just the utter beauty in nature or whether it's the silence that brings such clarity and creativity. So what I, what I would say is when something that happens in your life that may be the most devastating could actually end up being the biggest opportunity for you to realize something bigger in your life. And that was a huge turning point for me because um, my dad passed away 15 years ago. So that's when I started to go to silent meditation retreats and to spend time alone, just alone. And it's been an entirely different way of coping with the noise and the stress and everything going on in our lives. So from that point on, that's when I became sort of this retreat junkie. <laughs> and, uh, but what I'd like to say for that is it's the balance point to my work. 
because when what's what's in silence is just so it's the speed way to calming down your central nervous system and it's and it just gets you gets me to a very creative um clear clear minded point you know when when you're going through your journey your own journey sometimes you know it, it's a it's a opportunity to travel to a a place that's outside of your comfort zone. But if you just say yes, like just become a yes person, every time you go through that next door, there might be something else that bounces you to another direction that you hadn't expected before. And so to, to just allow yourself to be open to new experiences and to push yourself a little bit out of your comfort zone, you have no idea what lies ahead. And it can be so amazing. Great advice. Be a yes person. I tell my kids, just be a yes person. Because when one door shuts, another one always opens. People may not think that, but it does. And the magic does happen out of your comfort zone. Just be curious, be creative and move out of your comfort zone because so many good things happen. Absolutely. And I think that Monica Carmichael said this as well, that you know, with failure or with something that's super challenging, if you just understand that that's, that's where the biggest growth happens in your soul's wisdom, that's where you really grow is when you're challenged or when you fall down flat on your face and, oh my, oh my God, you know, what's happening here? That's when you actually learn. So to, to realize when you're going through a difficult time that there's a silver lining there that's actually your teacher. And so nothing can actually be that bad because something underneath it all is teaching you something. So if you're going through a difficult time, ask yourself, what's the lesson? What am I learning? And there's always something, there's always something that you're learning. So to, to look on the bright side of of that. And, um, and I suppose another thing that I, I would say my, to my 20 year old self is replace fear with curiosity. So as soon as you make that shift from being afraid of something like me coming on this podcast today, replace it with being curious about it. And it shifts, it shifts everything. It just makes it interesting and exciting and curious as opposed to something scary. I agree. That's really good. Really good advice. This was whole, this was scary to me doing a podcast but I just knew that I knew a lot of women that had a lot of wisdom to share and how else better to get it out because we're in a pandemic, can't have retreats. So what's the next, right. <laughs> what's the next best thing? Oh, do a podcast. I'm like, but yeah. you do it. And what you're doing is so it's of such value to people, you know, and, and whether you're a young entrepreneur or whether you're a colleague or a friend, it's all of benefit, you know, to just to hear different perspectives from all kinds of different women, I think is a really, it's serving your bigger, broader community in a really great way. So mm. I think it's awesome, Jane, what you're doing. Oh, thank you. So what else do you have for wisdom for your 20 year old self? I I guess at the very, very top of the list would be integrity. Mm. Um, And I think I, I'm talking a lot to my kids who are all in their twenties. And so, you know, what to tell my 20 year old self is kind of an easier question because we, we get into a lot of conversation. Um, But integrity is at the top of the list to me. And that's, that is a big uh, vast word, really, but I, I think what it in, invokes to me is being honest and being impeccable with your word. Just be impeccable with your word. So when you tell someone you're going to do something for them, you just make sure you do it and make sure you meet everyone's expectations. You can aim to exceed the expectations, but for sure, bottom line, make sure you meet those expectations. So being impeccable with your word, whether that's to your children or to your friends or to your clients or to your staff, it's so important. So to me, that's 
that's right up there as number one. Self-care is also right up there. And, and I think for me, I, I really struggled with self-care versus selfish. I think it, it, it kind of goes back to that charity conversation of allowing yourself time to recharge and anyone who's running a business, you need to recharge. You have to give yourself that time. And I really didn't start, start to give myself any self-care until I would say about the last eight years. Mm. And that's through knowing so many people like yourself who, who ended up, you know, with sicknesses and exhaustion and people burning out and just a lot of people around me really needing to put self-care as a prevention. So for me personally, that self-care is yoga, meditation, kirtan, going to these retreats or just being in nature for a day, just go for a walk in the park. That's just as simple as can be. Just get outside in the sunshine. And so for me, that self-care is only really happening now. Um, I, I didn't take care of myself and I didn't really, um, with that, take care of my marriage in, in my younger days. And so that's something that I would tell my 20-year-old self, that self-care is not selfish. It's really vitally important. That's good advice too. I, I think people will struggle with the selfish versus the self-care and knowing that it's not selfish is so weight lifting off your shoulders to give yourself that time. It's just so important to do that. And I'm glad you said that. For every person, it's different, you know, like some people, you know, they love to go for a good run and, that's their way of self-care and it's absolutely wonderful. So it's just finding what works for you. Mm-hmm. Everyone's different. And for me, what fills my cup too is just being with some really great friends and laughing and laughing. And it's amazing what that does to fill your cup. Right. So it's, uh, there's all kinds of different ways and, and everyone has a, has their way that works for them. Um, I think there'll be lots of get together as soon as this pandemic's over. There'll be lots of uh, laughing, gathering, wine maybe involved. Yeah, a little bit of wine. It's always good. Always good. <laughs> yeah. Um, another thing I would I would say to my 20-year-old self is to uh, not look over the fence too much. And I think that nowadays with all of the social media out there and just so much, there's so much that it's so easy to not feel like you're enough. And I think it's really important to stick to your game, like keep what is on your focus and ahead of you. So for instance, if I have a, you know, a big project ahead of me and I'm focused on those clients, I'm, absolutely 100% focused on trying to make sure everyone's happy and getting what they need. Mm -hmm. If I spend time looking over the fence at what other designers are doing and what other people are posting on Facebook, I'm not even on Facebook. So what people are posting on their Instagrams, there's something about that, that that shifts to this feeling of not being enough or not doing enough or Oh, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing it that way. And Oh, my gosh, like they've got 5,000 people following them. And, and all of a sudden you feel so vulnerable. So I, I would say to my 20 year old self, don't look over the fence, just keep your focus straight ahead. Keep your eyes on the road and you're in your own vision in your own way. Because all of those things can be so distracting to the point of actually being a little bit debilitating, like, especially now, it's like, I opened this Instagram page and honestly, it makes me, it makes my stomach hurt because I just think I don't, this is so ego centered. And when ego is involved, all these icky feelings come up of competitiveness or 
it's just not for me personally, it doesn't do me very much good um, for my work or my self-care or my sense of well-being. So, you know, I think there's a balance there. You know, you show um, people what you're doing as a way to stay in the game and be current and, you know, show some of what you're doing. I think that is important. But I think it's, it's, there's a fine line of getting too immersed in that so that your shift goes off of your personal focus. You're so right. I say, you know, you have to stay in your own lane. Stay in your own lane. That's right. And, and not get distracted because there is so much. I find I get, it's like a squirrel all the time. You pick up the phone and you go to search something and then and then a notification comes up and then you get onto another tangent and it's like, oh my gosh, I just wasted. I could have been working out, could have had a workout <laughs> in. I could have I done something, but it gets distracting and it gets overwhelming. And then you realize, no, that's not serving me. That's not positive. It's social media is good if you use it right. And Absolutely. I believe if you're serving and you're doing it in the right way and not 400 times a day, then absolutely. But I think the more you stay in your own lane and the less distractions you have, the more successful you're going to be. It's, it's so self-consuming. It, it's really consuming. And, and again, I, this is only from my own perspective. And I think that people, we all have different personalities and we, and I, even though I love being social and I, I run my business, I'm actually fairly shy. Like I'm, I'm a pretty private shy person when it comes to actually my, my work. And um, so I think that for me, it's important to stay in my lane because it's also my comfort place, you know, a bit like going out there and the public and, displaying everything it's uh it's it doesn't feel like me it doesn't feel authentic to me so but to someone else it's very maybe very much them and so you go for it if it's really very much you then that's then that's you know then that's what you do Mm -hmm. but I think that what I'm trying to say is listen to yourself and and if you feel really distracted by all of the social media, then just stay in your lane. I love that. That's going to go right up there with one of my new mantras. Stay in your lane. Yeah. <laughs> That's a really good one. But you know what, too, Louise? That brings it back to integrity, right? That, that rolls it right into integrity of how you run your business. And that is your integrity by staying in your lane and not looking over your shoulder, not comparing yourself because it is so easy to get into that comparison and it's not good. It's not healthy. And especially for, for our young, our up and coming generation, you know, where this is so much their world Mm -hmm. and see on, on so many of the health care sites about, um, you know, just, your self-care has to do with being authentic to yourself and, and feeling good enough just as you are, because outside so many people are comparing themselves. I, I think about my, my own kids and the world that they live in with so much social, social media and, and everything that's out there. And I think that, you know, it's, it's true that, that you are enough is important for our young people to know always that they're a hundred percent right on enough. Good point. What else do you want to share? Well, I have maybe one other little thing, I guess I, and I compare that to my, my earlier career self. Um, I said yes to just about everything that came along in terms of work. I was so eager to get my business taken off. And as a result, I was, you know, never hardly sleeping. I was working all the time. So it's really important to know when you can say no. And it's absolutely okay to say no. And it's still a struggle for me. I like to write today, I have so much on my plate. And, you know, another call will come in and I have to tell myself, 
you have to say no, you have to say no, you can't take on anymore. And so it's a practice of a lifetime to really be able to balance what you can take on and what you can manage um, goes back to the whole your life being full, right? Yeah, you just have to be able to say no sometimes and be okay with that. And so I turn away a lot of work and I always refer other designers and other people that can help them out. And that's, I'm getting better at being able to make space for the rest of my life. That's good that you can do that, that you can refer work and that's being collaborative Mm -hmm. and being a go-giver, as I call it, because (laughs) you're, you're sharing the work. Because well, there's so much to give. There's so much work out there and there's enough for everyone. So there's a few really young designers that approached me and I'm passing on so much work to them and they're now busy. They have lots to do. So I think it's, you know, like I said before, you can't keep it all for yourself. You can't, you know, you may as well share everything Mm -hmm. that you know and share what you can with people who are up and coming. It's so important as much as everyone would love a Mackenzie design. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you're sweet. (laughs) You are so good. And you really do run under the radar, Lou. You have for so long. And people want to have your designs, but it also makes you a little bit mysterious too, because you do run under the radar and you're not out there on social media. And you have such a, you know, you, you get a little glimpse of, you know, on social media of what a project you're working on. It's just like, oh my gosh, it's just, it's just a snippet of what you're working on. And no one really knows to the extent of what those jobs are. And well, not, they're not jobs, they're masterpieces. They're absolutely beautiful masterpieces. And you are the creator of that. And you've got a gift and you are lovely to work with. I know that personally, not just saying that as a friend. And I always think too, if you're going to hire a designer, an architect, that is what your gift is and just let you run with it. Because I find when you start getting into, yes, you want to hear your, your client's ideas and everything, but I find once that they get too much into the process, then your creativity is stifled. Well, thank you so much. But I, I think it, that's a there's a fine line there because you have to really, really listen. You have to be there for people and listen. And sometimes you're working with just one couple. Sometimes it's a larger family. Sometimes it's a family compound of people. So I think that there's a lot of psychology in this work. And I think that actually design is one part of it. But being a, if this is a word, a calmerer, being the person to keep everyone calm, the clients, the builders, the contractors, just being able to resolve conflicts or conversations that come up, you know, in a way where everyone wins is probably right up there with the creativity. It's, it's really understanding people and, and being a really good listener. And you have to take in all of the ideas from your clients and their kids and their aunts and uncles and anybody else who's involved to sift through the priorities and then figure out the puzzle. Um, So sometimes you're right. You have a lot more freedom to here's our wish list and just go and just go create. And other times there's a lot of involvement. So you just have to always be the one that's kind of calm and steady and listening. And you do that so well. If anybody's going to learn how to be calm and steady and manage all of that, you are the one to learn from. So that's my takeaway from you. What I've learned is how you, you know, you calm the waters. Anything can go wrong, but you always have a calming, calming piece to you. And it's just so beautiful to watch. Thanks, Jane. So what do you want your legacy to be? Oh, boy, I don't really know. Um, I don't really know. I think I'm so kind of just in my lane. (laughs) I haven't really thought a lot about that, to be honest. But I think, I think what I impart in my children 
is at the top of that. And maybe that goes into the whole discussion on what you would tell your 20 year old self, but hoping that I've given my kids a really strong foundation so they can carry on in their lives and, and be happy and successful. I think that's um, probably what comes to my mind first. I would hope my buildings stand up for a long time. <laughs> and, well, I think they will be. Yeah. And I, and I, I really, I mean, each one of those buildings and houses are for the people who are living in them and they're, their sanctuaries and they're, their joy to live in. So um, I don't, I don't know, I, I guess it's just knowing that I've lived a good life in a, in a well way and being kind and spreading whatever little bits of light and joy along the way and every day that I can, I think living well is really the biggest thing. And you have done that and you're, by far not over. That's <laughs> I hope not because retirement is just not in a word I, I know. Actually, that was another thing I was going to say about the 20-year-old self is I kind of wish someone had told me before I jumped off the cliff to start my own business that, okay, when all of your friends are retiring and you're not, you need to be prepared for that. Um, and COVID has taught me very clearly that I love my work. I love to work. I have no need or want to retire until I'm ready. And so I hope I have another good 15 years in me anyway, um, because it, the, the quietness through COVID, I just not really that happy being at home and I love to work. So I think that it makes a bit of a shift from feeling um, like watching other people who are retiring and playing golf and, and all of this and feeling a little bit envious of that. Now I'm really feeling really grateful that I have control of my life and that no one can say, okay, you're done now. You have to retire because you're, you're this age or I, I have the option to keep working for as long as I want to. And this is a joy. It's just so wonderful to have your own business and know you can keep going with whatever gifts you can give for as long as you want to. And that conversation would have been really great to have in my twenties. Mm. Really understand that, you know, I'm 50. I don't know how old I am. How old? I think I'm 58, um, 57 or 58. Uh, just to know that this is going to come someday. And, and people around you are all going to be retired and you might not be, and that's okay. But to just know that that, that day will come, right. And to understand it ahead of time is, is good. Well, that's the beauty of entrepreneurship. You don't have a timeline. You design your own life. hundred percent for sure. I don't even know what retirement is. My own family, my dad, well, he was forced into retirement at 80 because of health. But yeah. he never really, I, I, I have no concept of it. Really, I don't. No, it's not in your language. It's not part of your language, really. It, it, and you're always looking down the lane, you know, for what's ahead and what's coming up and what's that new project. And, and just there, there isn't an end no. in, in sight. And, and that's a beautiful thing, really. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really, if I was to tell my 20 year old self is to go for entrepreneurship right from the get go. If that's in your DNA, it's not in everyone's mm -hmm. DNA, but it's certainly something I think the younger people should explore. You have to find your lane. That's right. And not be fearful. Just be excited and curious. Mm -hmm. and go for it. Exactly. Mm -hmm. well, Louise, where can we find you where your website and your Instagram? Where can people find you? My Instagram, which is fairly new. So there's not a ton uh, of pictures yet, but um, it's Mackenzie Design Inc. My website is mackenziedesign.ca. I am doing a lot more modern builds now. So those aren't on there yet, but they will be at some point. It's really exciting. And the office is on Rubridge Street.
I will put that in your in the text after this. So I really enjoyed our time today. It's you have so much wisdom to share, and I know this is going to lift others up. And thank you so much for spending this time with me and sharing your wisdom. No, thanks for having me. You're such a great friend. No, <laughs> me too. Thank yeah. you. Thanks so much, Jane. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to Mentors and Mavens. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you feel this was a value to you and you would love to share, please take a moment and leave a five-star review on the platform that you listened from. I would be grateful for this. Until the next episode, we rise by lifting others up.